Hello and welcome to another edition of I Spit on Your Grades. It's me, Mercer, with my usual co-host, Faye Ellis. I am not so usual. I'm strange and unusual. Hello. Hello, that's... Adam's family, right? Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, close though, same, same, same thing. Not at all. And um, uh, uh, equally lovely, Chris Ellis. Hello. <laughs> you didn't introduce us as the Ellises. You're learning. We are very two individual people and not one homogenous blob. <laughs> Anyone Think for in... yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're all here today to discuss our films for our genre choice this week, which was dun, 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 psychological horror. Hmm. And to be honest, with the way things are going at the moment, it might be the last time we're in a room together for quite some while. Looking forward to that second wave, baby. Not at all looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know much about you this. You don't even know what's going on outside no, your door. No, I honestly don't. My mum normally updates me, um, but... I tell her off every time she speaks to me about coronavirus because it's always magni- magnified, as in, you know, everyone on your street's dead, John. Um, <laughs> so you can't leave your house. My mum and not, honestly. I see him walk out my aisle every day. Well, so. let's let's pray there isn't a second wave and there isn't a second lockdown because uh, Fright Fest just dropped its lineup for October. Not that we're going, we're going celluloid, hopefully. Um, but um, it is a cracking lineup. It looks ridiculous, doesn't mm-hmm. it? It really it does. It looks really good. I'm, I'm good. And I know that I'm, I'm still good. And even though I'll, I'll be hopefully at another festival, I'm still getting four more very strongly. I'm gutted to not be buying 14 individual tickets. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I think the drama of buying them tickets would be ridiculous. I don't buy tickets for Fright Fest normally. It's normally just Discovery Screen mm. that we do, and that's far too stressful. Um, so the whole thing for, is. I mean, um, buy, yeah. And that's the case when you know that you're going. You actually know you can have a seat for the main main screen, and then it's just getting Discovery tickets. This if you miss out on if you miss out on a couple of films because. People don't have to go for the entire thing now. Yeah. If some, if the big films come in, and it happens to be that a lot of people there just fancy going and watching it, that could go. Before, you could be left with nothing in it, that time slot. In terms of the situation and why they've done it, um, obviously given the current climate and whatnot, I completely understand. It's a logical move. It just puts a lot of pressure on people who are getting tickets. I, I, I mean, obviously they've weighed up the pros and the cons as to why they've done it the way they've done it. I still don't understand though why they didn't just do it as festival passes because over like three screens, uh, but you your choice was it was either these movies in this screen, these movies in this screen, or these movies in this screen. Maybe not to complicate matters because even when you've got a festival pass and you go for your discovery screen tickets, there's still always that overlap. It might be that somebody books it and then doesn't turn up to a seat, and that could be a seat for somebody else. So I think it's just to it's initial process of buying, yeah, pain in the arse. But overall, I think after it's it makes more sense to do it that way for them. I'm hoping celluloid won't be like that, and I'm hoping it's just to pass because if it's not, oh my god, I'm gonna die. I won't actually yeah. die, but you know. 
I'm just, I'm very stressed. This is possibly the way forward. Mm. I'm just hoping that Fright Fest do do some digital play some of the films digitally alongside they some will, of them look amazing. They will, they just recently come out on the Fright Fest forum on Facebook that they will be doing a digital version, whatever that form takes the week after. However, obviously with some of the films there, they will not want to be screened digitally. So some of the bigger, I imagine that Train to Busan is never going to be playing the online festival the week late, a week later because the studio just will not let them do it. I have my fingers and toes crossed that Benny Loves You will be picked up by Celluloid and Psycho Gorman, which was also announced today for Mayhem. Yeah, mm-hmm. so as I say, they've said there'll be a mix, so there'll be some repeat films from the festival weekend and some new stuff. And to be fair, we had... Well, the quality may not have been great at the summer digital edition. We had a lot of fun, so... The only reason I'm not having, like, a FOMO moment or a mental breakdown about not going to Fright Fest is because we had the digital event. Mm. So I don't feel like, you know, I've ruined my continual yeah. streak. So this, what, was this my 12th year? 11th? 12th? 11th, year. Um of the actual Fright Fest event, because this isn't really Fright Fest, because it's October, mm, so it's the Halloween true. one, so I've not ruined my streak, so I'm alright, I'm, I'm happy. Fright Fest aside, have we been watching anything this week? Um, I've watched what we're supposed to watch. Well done. That would... That's a, that's a minimalised effect when we come to record. Um, I've got, like, a really bad memory. And I don't know if I've watched anything else. We haven't really, have we? No, I don't believe we have. Shift work, unfortunately, means that occasionally we lose all uh, all ability to actually watch some stuff. It is worth mentioning, though, that I did today, ladies and gentlemen, finish Breaking Bad for the second time. Thank you. Thank you. It didn't take me long at all. Watched it whilst I was working. <gasps> Although I, real- I realised I actually also... Today, I've watched, two, I've watched two separate films today, in addition to one we picked, but I won't disclose what they are just yet, because they'll ruin the, I'll reveal later on. I mean, to be fair, considering we've not watched anything, um, we may as well go ahead and do our films. We'll move on to my choice next, which is 2015's The Invitation, starring Logan Marshall Green and Tammy Blanchard. So The Invitation follows the story of Will and Eden, who have parted ways because there was a tragedy within the family. Their son um, sadly drowned and they just couldn't make it work. So when they're separate ways, uh, Will goes off and finds another girlfriend. Enan decides she was going to go away to Mexico, to a commune, and seek solace there and learn how to deal with the grief. Uh, This this all comes out when they are uh, reunited at a party with all their friends because she wants to impart this wisdom upon Will and tell him that he doesn't have to feel guilty for what's happened in the past and he can move on and he can be happy. But as she's explaining it, it starts to come off a bit cultish. And the whole question of the film is whether they are involved in a cult or not and whether they're trying to convert their friends. So for a start, I know we mentioned before 
that you said when you initially started watching this Mercer, you were not wholly convinced about the friend group and whether they'd been friends for a long time. Yeah. So we said that pre-recording, just yeah. we've not cut that out. No, no, no. <laughs> just in case. Uh, yeah, so initially when I when I first saw it and we got the interaction between uh, Will and, and his group, his and Eden's group of friends, who uh, we learned none of them have seen each other really for two years. Two years. They didn't really feel like a group of friends to me. Nothing felt authentic between them. Uh, possibly, I tell a lie, tell a lie, Claire, I felt like there might have been a history between Claire and Will. Mm. Um, I think they, they had some chemistry. Ben was okay, but the others felt a little bit, almost like the, I don't know. To me... Like maybe they worked with each other, but they weren't really friends. To me, they're the type of friends that I would describe as young friends. So the friends you have just coming out of college and university, when you still you went through wild times together, rather than forming anything particularly deep and meaningful, it's more like a party group. I tell you what, I tell you what probably doesn't help. Even though I've got no problem with a friend group, they're quite a diverse bunch that you don't, you wouldn't normally get a whole group of friends. Because it sounds it sounds awful to say, but most people you hang around with people similar to yourself. It's a simple fact. So the fact is, we have Will and Kira. So we have the mixed race couple. We have the two. We have the the gay couple. We have then the Korean, the two Korean, the two Koreans, the couple there as well. That's quite a diverse range of people for one friend group. I mean, it depends upon the history, really, doesn't it? I think that's the thing. Maybe the art, maybe the diversity within the group is showing. <laughs> this might come off wrong how open-minded they actually are. And maybe that's why she felt she could trust them in telling them about this place yeah. she's been. True, but do you not feel that's probably part of the reason why it feels a little bit odd as a friend group? Maybe. For me, no, it wasn't actually the the diversity within the people within the group. It was the interactions between the people within the group. Um, and I, I don't know. I'm a little... I don't know about like what you've just said about like the you tend to be with people who are the same. I kind I did, I get that then I don't get that. Um, obviously, this these were friends like when you hear some of the stories. So some of them are friends through university. So I guess that's where the massive diverse friendship group would come through. But it doesn't sound like they studied the same thing. So yeah. I don't know how they got together. Um, to be honest, but for me, it just felt a little bit forced it, with some of them. It didn't feel that way for me. I, that's something I've never noticed watching the films, and I, I I have watched this a lot of times. To me, it's it's Will and Eden's piece, and it's working out them for me. It's like you, the body language between them. She's so open to everything, and he's so pulled back and you know, in on himself because he's still not dealt with it. Mm. He's he's still carrying that grief and she's making out like she's all okay and everything's absolutely fine. So for me, it's watching those two as opposed... The friends are there to bulk it up, to bulk up the scene for me. It's more about them two, I think. Well, <laughs> Will is great. Well, I love Will in it. He's brilliant. 
he just he has two looks that he does throughout the whole. He has inquisitive deer and deer in headlights. But <laughs> <laughs> that's all it needs though. That he conveys everything that he wants to get across. In and that, that's narrowing down being sound like a villain kind because he's brilliant throughout it. Well, this is the thing. Even with those two looks, you are still thrown at every turn as to who to believe. Because even if she has gone off somewhere. To a commune. If she if she's gone if she's gone and she's decided to do that and that's what's helped her, no one is to judge. That's absolutely fine. But you never you're never certain on either side. Obviously, as things progress, I never feel like you can totally be on Will's side in what he's thinking, in that they are part of a cult, because then you look at their side and go, Well, maybe not. I think the way Everything's kind of portrayed throughout the film, obviously. It throws you, like you say, just straight every corner. I think the, for me, the, there was like, a, so Eden, for example, there's a scene with Eden where she's in the kitchen and she's just explained to Will about how she lives without fear, without guilt, without anger. She's completely free now. When Ben's there. Yeah. yeah. And then Ben comes in and he says something and she smacks him across face and she's really angry at him. And you're like, Hang on, you've just told us that you don't carry that emotion anymore. Mm. Well, that comes to that comes to the service service yeah. at the end. So yeah. it, obviously, you kind of like it's, it's a bit weird. Like, like f- everything she's doing feels like an act. Yeah, like she doesn't actually really believe it. The thing I do love about it as well is the pace of it. So nothing is thrown at you one after the other after the other. You'll have something happen that will make you question why they're there. But then there's all sorts of normalness, like they'll just have a drink and they'll just have a chat and then they'll go and have some food. And it's I like that it's not one thing after the other because that just builds it up in your head to that finale. And that finale is just what, you know, which we will discuss. But yeah, the pace of it is perfect. Well, it's, it's just the little details. It's the things that seem completely innocuous. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm gonna say no, I'm gonna say innocuous, even though I know it's not the right word. It's not just the innocuous; it's innocuous, mm. like locking locking the door. Yeah, fine. Taking the key out of the door. Going after you, a little chat on the mobile. Unless you're fair, you're taking the key out of the door. Completely weird. Well, yeah. So that's exactly what I was thinking. So as I was sat watching that film, I was thinking. So I, I, if if that was me in my house, I probably wouldn't have locked the door, and if I did, I wouldn't have took the key out. Mm. Um, I think it's really bizarre and I've said this to you before like I think it's so bizarre the way like when you come in you lock the door you take the key out there I'm like why? Because what if somebody reaches the hand through the letterbox and grabs your keys? Well if there's a fire like he says you're from there it's right by the front door don't rob us (laughs) (laughs) the fact that they have to squeeze themselves through the letterbox like fucking flat stand oh yeah when Silver Surfer comes along and just slides his way through well that's 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 something I like about the film because it's t- it takes something so simple like locking the door and taking the key out and flips it depending on who you are and how you respond to that. Yeah. So I would find it weird and I would probably, if I was in a house and go, well, I thought I took a key out. Like, what if we need to get outside? Yeah. Whereas you would probably think, oh, good, they're being safe. It's all, the way, it's all the way through. I mean, obviously, let's face it, the first two thirds of the film has the fact that Troy... Isn't at the party yet? Yeah. As it's made as a complete sense of unease, 
It's a case of he's running late. As well as the people you have there as well in the form of Pruitt and... Seder. Seder, because they are... Bat- well, she's batshit. He's... He's... He's sinister, yeah. yeah. he's sinister, yeah. I think... Oh, oh sorry, I was going to say with, with Troy, yeah, I was, I was just made a point. So, we don't all know plenty of people who will turn up an hour late to a party, two hours late to a party. Yeah, Will, the fact that Will cares so much about where Choi is just gives it just that sense of just, well, okay, something's... And we already know he's the... We already know he's always late. They've already, told, they've already said he's the most unreliable Korean in Los Angeles. But everything else on top of what's happening is obviously making him that little bit that's, more That's what I'm saying. The fact that the film yeah. gives you that sense of, by the fact that he... Everything screams that this is normal behaviour for Choi, that he can't just can't let it go. I thought the scene where they play I Want yeah. was ridiculous, as in really good. The way, like, Pruitt just goes, I would say about my life, and then tells that dark, dark Foreshadowing story. Foreshadowing story, by the way. And at that point, that's where you would imagine people would be like, um, I actually think I'm going to go now. As Claire. As Claire does. And I put that in my notes. Thank God, Claire, that somebody says she's leaving. Mm. And then I'm like, oh no, poor Claire. What's going to happen to poor Claire? But that that moment, it's just like, somehow, they've lost, like, it's... They've been influenced. But by but, but, but nothing's happened, really. Yeah, but these are, these are mind games that... Don't want to generalise the mind games that cults play. We've watched The Sacrament. We, you know, we've watched cult films. They, um, what do you call it? The um, faults. Faults. This is what happens. The the mind trick you into thinking their way, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to bring them onto their side. The bit where Claire leaves is horrible because if you are on Will's side, you watch her leave that door. You're like, brilliant. She's got out of safe. Oh, hang on a minute. Like, no, no. Where's he going? Don't follow her. And then I have a question. So Will's watching through the window, right? And Claire starts to drive away and Pruitt goes, oh, no, wait, one second. And he goes, and then he comes to da- Daniel, David, 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 comes to speak to Will, as in to distract him. A car drives off. Whose car is it? It might be Pruitt driving. No, no, no. Pruitt's. No, Pruitt's. Pruitt's still around the corner. He's just run around to Claire's yeah. car, which is there, and then a car comes up here. Yeah, I think he's driving her car away. No, to make her it... car. So he's there at her car. At he's the at her car. So he's he's parked his car down there. She's pulled up and around. He's walked around to her car, and then a car drives up and past them. But then again, we but have... they're not on the main road. But we also but... have that mysterious group later on when the door goes, mm. which would attribute to the ending, which made me think immediately of Charlie Manson. Well, so. Moving it along a little bit, just because I'm conscious of time, um, we do eventually get to a point where Will is going out of his mind at this point. He is absolutely convinced that there is something going wrong because he gets a voicemail from Choi saying, I'm at the door. Where are you? I'm trying to get in. No one's letting me in. Um, I don't want to go to this bakery that I've got to go and get a pastry from. Can you just get it on way and I'll wait here. See you soon. But Choi's not there. So like, where the fuck has Choi gone? 
And like I say, at this point, Will loses it and just starts accusing them of getting rid of Choi, of, you know, being in a cult, trying to convert them, all that shit. And then Choi turns up. You're like, hang on. This has flipped it again. Will's the mental one. There is absolutely nothing going wrong. Do you know when you got that phone call message? Yeah. I don't know if anyone else felt the same. But the very first thing I did was when he walked back into the house and started walking up the stairs, I'm like... Oh my god, they fucking ate Choi. <laughs> That's what they've done. They've cooked and fed them Choi. <laughs> and then I will prove her wrong. Because at this point we are during the dinner scene. That did not look amazing. Um, all, all, all the way through the film, there are comments on how good the wine is. Keep bringing that wine. Keep giving me that wine because they know that when they do come to give them the wine, they're just going to drink it without questioning it and go, oh, this tastes a bit funny. No, it's just good wine. Don't worry about it. So Choi turns up. Um... His will goes off and he kind of calms himself down and he realises that what he's doing is pretty irrational. And he takes himself... He goes to look at the son's room and he kind of takes himself out of the equation. Then he goes into that other room and opens that laptop. <laughs> yeah, right. If I'm in a cult... I imagine if I ever start one, rule 101, don't leave my court leader videos just on your unlocked laptop. Yeah, <laughs> just ready to print one. He watches that and he's on a bar. Um, he's looking forward to them joining him. Mm-hmm. And obviously, previously we've seen, the, they played them a video from the commune where that woman was dying. Yes. And they were like, now she's joining. And you watch her die. Others. Yeah. So then... So, yeah, then he goes running upstairs. He paints that picture, he goes back to the dining table, he sits down, and then they bring wine. Except this time, my people, the wine is not from a bottle. No. Bah, bah, bah. The wine's from a decanter. So when Will sees this, there's something in him that just snaps, and he knocks the wine out of Kira's hand. Yep. So she can't drink it. Starts knocking it from everyone. Because he hates decanters. Crazy lady goes from <laughs> Crazy lady goes for him. So good when she loses oh, it. Yeah. Um, he throws her off and much like Pruitt's story, knocks her. So her head goes on the side of the sideboard and she's knocked out. You hear she's not breathing. He's like, no, no, sorry. I was like, no, no, no. And you look at Troy's girlfriend. And she's foaming at the mouth because she's drank the wine. And that's what you're like, fuck. Fuck. And <laughs> it just took another yeah. turn. Because, yeah. again, you're a bit like, up until seeing her form, you're like, is he still losing it? I'm not really sure now. At which point, everything goes 20 shades mental. of shit mental. Oh, man. It's so fucking tense, that whole last act. Just who do you save out? Who do you save straight away out of your friends? You know you can't protect everybody. That poor guy just saw his husband die in front of him. I'm about to say yeah, because obviously uh, Miguel, unfortunately, yeah, Miguel while trying to save her, didn't even get. He didn't even get the chance to try to do anything. He's it's shot point blank range yeah. right through it. The scene after, so to obviously Daniel David, what's his name? David. David shoots Miguel, and then it goes into like. Slow mo, and everyone's like back away. And Pruitt's going, like, Lindo, I'm, I'm slow mo mining, you can't see him. <laughs> but he's like saying no one's slow moing and asking if they're good. And again, it makes you go, Is it just David? Right, what's going on here? Mm. And he gets the good, and you're like, Oh, it's gonna, is it gonna be alright? And then he just shoots someone else. He shoots like, Troy. Fuck, man. Yeah. What's going on? And 
like I said, just everything that ensues after it, them getting away. Um, obviously, everybody's going mental. And Kira as well has to be the one to kill Pruitt because Will won't do it when they're in the study. It's not, it's not something so he won't. It's about that he's choked down to the floor. Well, there's the scene where Sada is... Uh, Sadie, I, I'm not going to lie, that the... What's her name? Lindsay Burge plays Sada. Her manic, crazy woman is probably one of my favourite manic women I've seen. The way she literally throws her body into attacking them. And the guttural scream she's doing when she's like chasing Mm. them down the corridor. You're like, she's she's so scary. She's pissed. So, like, yeah, and obviously you'll have mean at this time that the whole point was they were going to transcend together. They're all going to go with the wine. They were going to be at peace. But at this point, she's scared. And she's like, I never wanted it to go down like this. I'm not liking this. This isn't right. This isn't right. And David's trying to convince her that it is. But you know in that second that everything she's tried to sell you before, she doesn't believe. This is evil. Not one bit. Yeah. yeah. She just doesn't believe it one bit. And then she turns the gun on Will, shoots him in the shoulder realises what she's done and then turns the gun on herself and shoots herself. Now, at this point, Will could have just left her to die, but there's always going to be that bond between them that he can't just leave her like she is, so he takes her outside and let her die, lets her die under the stars. Yeah, she has to be took outside. Yeah. And obviously they kill David. So the ending of the film's pretty... Cool. Uh, cool. Where <laughs> Shocking. One thing I didn't, I couldn't tell, and you'll have to welcome me on it. So earlier on, which we didn't even mention, David went outside and lit a red lantern, lantern. lantern yeah. and put it to show. Also, earlier, earlier on in the film, prior to doing that, when everyone said it's a cull, they were like, it's not a cull. It's a community, there's hundreds of us, or thousands of us here in LA, New York, across the globe, basically. Mm-hmm. So he's painted how many there is. He's lit this thing. We now know that tonight's the night that they're transcending. And it looks like they have to take some people with them because none of these other people were in this court. Yeah, yeah. So it looks like they've been given some kind of instruction that they need X amount of bodies. Yeah. And then the ending when you, there's the copters and the... And the pan out and you see out. the red lanterns. I couldn't see red lanterns. Thank you. Red lanterns everywhere. That's what I couldn't see. Right, yeah. yeah. It, it's just to say, and that, that's why they'll have come up. That's why you'll have seen the car driving down. That's why people have come to the house because they were planning it, making sure that everything's in place. Because what's happening in that house, as you can hear from the screens, some people going mental, and... is happening every fucking where else. That ending... Just takes the wind out of me. I, I we watched it at celluloid yeah. my first time, and afterwards I was just drained. I was like, "Shit, that's that's fucking powerful for a film that not many people, I don't think, will have heard of." It's incredible, and it's such an easily accessible film. Mm. Everyone, it's on Netflix. Like it's free well obviously if you pay for Netflix it's, it's not, not free, free. <laughs> but you, know, you don't have to pay any extra to watch it like Prime or whatever it's on Netflix now I'm going to tell you this was my first watch of The Invitation and I 
I did like a full 180 from being like, what the fuck is this, to fuck my life, this is amazing. Mm. Yes, fair, I've just said it. I thought the film was pretty amazing. It's going to be a tough one this week because with with both of your picks as well, I'm, I'm smitten. I love them. To summarise, Invitation has it all. It's tense. It's amazing performances. It's an incredible story. It's played out so well. And oh my God, does it leave you fucking winded. And that is why you should choose The Invitation as your best psychological horror. Let's move on to my choice then. So I went for um, an uber, uber fantastic film. It's from 2015. It's called They Look Like People. Ooh! Ooh. Yes, it's uh, written and directed by Perry Blackshear. Um, stars McLeod Andrews, who we've just been raving about from A Ghost Waits. Woo woo! Uh, it's also got Evan Dumashell in. Mm-hmm. Don't know what else is in, but he's fucking fantastic. He's in, in The Siren, which we'll come to later. Yes, which is also by Perra. It is. Yes. And also stars... McLeod. McLeod. Yes. And um, it's also brilliant. Yes. And I think it also stars the girl who plays Mara. It absolutely does. Which is uh, Margaret Ian Drake, who came to Fright Fest when, I saw, when we saw this back in 2015. She absolutely did. And she was pregnant. Yes, she was. Very different to her character in the, yes. the film. So, they were like people. It's basically the story of... Wyatt, who believes that, or has been told that the world is being invaded and people are being taken over and he is going to fight the battle uh, to stop this. He reaches out to his friend, Christian, initially, I guess, just as a place to, to live, um, but, you know, we get to see the, they, they, were, they were obviously really good friends in the past, so we get to see their friendship. Um, and yeah, it's basically just Wyatt dealing with his, his reality. It's fucking fantastic. It is. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. It's an amazing film and it's, it's really, really beautiful. Um, the, the kind of opening sequence is Wyatt laid in bed looking at his girlfriend and her face is just blacked out and and it's the sound of flies mm-hmm. which is one of his key kind of components when he knows somebody's not real anymore i thought it were wasps it it's like some, kind of, it's some, some kind, kind of in, insect some kind of insect to represent an infestation i imagine yeah. this film would sound either with a really awesome surround sound system or a decent set of headphones on I imagine this film would sound yeah. even even better than it does. But yeah, that, I think the the very setup almost it sets up the the kind of film in general that Wyatt really can't in his mind trust anyone, even the people closest to him, and he has to leave and get away from his girlfriend. It's not ever implied or said, but you kind of get the impression that his girlfriend's probably not alive anymore. Mm, yeah. I think he's very troubled, and um, for me, this film is a buddy movie at his heart because it's it, it, he is the person he trusts most in the world. Like you say, he doesn't trust many people, but he trusts Christian Christian more so than anybody else because they've grown up together, lifelong friends, and oh my god, the scenes you have of them just where they're fucking around make me howl. They're hilarious because it's so natural. 
yes, I think that's the, the for me the biggest thing. I, in comparison to what I said about invitation. the invitation, I genuinely believe these two are friends. Yeah, McLeod's a natural at being able to do that. Natural style. He's a man who made a toilet talking <laughs> seem like a perfectly normal thing in the ghost way. He's a man who's he's spectacularly natural on camera. Yeah. I think that's that's the key thing as well for for this film in general. For all of the the main cast, everything about them is just natural. Yeah, nothing feels forced. Uh, not like and the relationships are so authentic <laughs> and so heartwarming. And funny, yeah, and devastating, and it's so, it's so sad to see, like, Wyatt, kind of falling down this rabbit hole, um. But again, it's almost set up like we're not sure whether it is Wyatt's mental state or something. I think we we're pushed in that area more so than saying the invitational other choices we might make in this episode in that as I was saying to you about the sound every time you hear Wyatt or see Wyatt struggling with himself the sound just gets ramped up that little bit extra so it I think it does push you to think that this is in his head and that he is going crazy but again not moving to the end but when you come to the end that does come into question as well I'd say well I mean is a film not just it's not even just about why why it's the protagonist because he has the more insane thing happening to it, but it's more about issues everyone's going through. Let's face it, Christian is a downtrodden, feels cowardly, constantly with the self help tapes and the bigging himself up and the gym work, needing to feel that he's much braver and stronger than, than he, he feels he actually is. So I said it's. Yeah, so White's at one end of the, an extreme end of the scale. And that's what's great about their friendship. Like you're saying, with Christian, he, he, he tries so hard to prove that he's not the person he was back in high school, that he would absolutely stand up to someone when in reality he actually wouldn't. And then Wyatt as well. He, it's almost like he questions what's happening to him because you can see the torture in him when he wants to tell Christian what he's thinking, what he's hearing, what he's seeing, what's happening to him. And he just can't push himself to do it because like, he's going to think I'm crazy. No. He's going to think I'm out of mind. But you don't need to. No, yeah. no, of course he doesn't. He knows. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it becomes apparent like from the beginning when Wyatt kind of turns up out of the blue and it's like, oh, I'm stepping with a friend. Um, but he goes in for a cup of tea and Christian's like... Let's go out and tell him you're staying here yeah. tonight. And then he gets up next morning and gets him his keys. And from the get-go, he's like, I can see you need some help. So I'm going to help you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to ask you about it. And I'm not going to push you to tell me. I'm just going to like Offer try it. and be yeah. there for you. What's also interesting, not interesting, maybe interesting, I don't know. But like you said, Christian's done everything he can to change who he was because he, he was scared. He was tired of being scared and tired of being, like, a loser, basically. Yeah. Which is interesting because Wyatt's fear is that people are being taken over mm-hmm. and changing. So it's almost like when he's saying to him, would you do this for me? And he's going, yeah, I think I would. 
would Christian have said that? Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. So is it Christian or is it not in Wyatt's mind? Yeah. So you get to see that whole sense of, like, him battling. Like, he wants it, he, believe, he wants it to be Christian, but he doesn't know whether it is. It's quite scary as well when you just see how far Wyatt will go. So when he gets the nail gun and goes into the basement and just starts shooting and preparing and he's got all the matches, it's quite, as Mara discovers when she goes to the basement with him, so you know you've just got all these tools there ready to attack somebody it is quite it, it, it it's quite scary and, and a comment on maybe not a comment on mental health to say that you can just switch like that and it could be dangerous if you did just so with Wyatt though what's obviously happening to him is he's getting these that he's getting these calls in the middle of the night and they're telling him not to trust people and to be aware and prepared now, the first call we hear is a man. Don't know who the man is. But then he gets another call, and the person who's on the phone is who's speaking to him is Mara. Yeah. So he obviously genuinely believes when he takes Mara down that she's actually someone yeah, yeah, yeah. there to help him. And then when she kind of freaks out, like, like throws him a little bit, I feel like you said the film primarily focuses so much on the relationships between everyone. Um, and that's what I love about it more than anything. Like, because we, we've got this best friend relationship. And then we've got, like, Christian and Mara. We're kind of, like, trying to get together. Yeah. But it's a little bit awkward because we work with each other. And then she has to sack him, which is not very nice. And that seems horrible when she sacks him. It's not him getting sacked that's horrible. It's like when he gets up and he drops some papers down, it's like, believe in yourself, be and... confident. And you're like, oh, bless you. She's like, oh. And then he goes out and his workmates have left, left like, that no. nice way to dominate, asshole. Mm. And you're like, oh, it's, he doesn't seem like an asshole. But in the, are... in the same way that her friend takes... Wyatt aside and says, if you ever pull anything like this on my best mate, I'll fucking kill you. It's like, what a horrible thing to do. He's clearly struggling. He's clearly struggling. And you've taken him out of his comfort zone to attack him. No, I find it horrible. Not only does she threaten him, though, but she takes, she mocks him. What is it? Aliens, bug people, CIA following yeah. you. She's mocking him. And... um it's not very nice. No. But he's, he, at, at that point, it almost feels like he's he's taking a bit of a turn. There's that, that moment where it feels like Christian's starting to go down and Wyatt's kind of picking himself up mm. and starting to almost present, like, as dealing with his issues. Um, there's that scene as well, um, and it's so matter-of-fact, and just the way it's dealt with, it's it feels cold, and it kind of leaves you going... Okay, when he's like um, cooking breakfast and he's like, I tried to kill myself last year and I spoke to this man and I put you an appointment and he's like, okay, when do I go? And I'm like, what? Because that's maybe their friendship. That's that's probably how their friendship works. But yeah, but it's just like, you tried to kill yourself. Yeah. What? Why? Why, Christian? I think these, these struggles that they both have and that they both play off and work with and against with each other when that does lead to the final act, I think that's why Christian is so ready to believe what Wyatt's saying. It's not that he necessarily believes him, but he needs Wyatt to think he believes him because he knows Wyatt needs this. And he knows he needs this to get over it. 
just stop it because it's, it's just not going to happen any other way, is it? It's codependent at that point. Like, yeah, Christian, yeah. Christian needs this as well. Christian, in just as much as why it needs to be proved right that is the apocalypse, Christian who's been building himself up as this strong, as this do-it-all, dominate kind of got He needs just as much this to be the apocalypse, to show what he's worth. Show what he's worth. Yeah. So, I don't want to miss the scene between um, Wyatt and Mara. All right. When he's trying to apologise to her. Oh. Um, and she punches him. <laughs> but she's sorry um, about it. She didn't she's mean sorry to. About it. She didn't mean to. Um, it's quite a sad scene because, not sad, but again, like she takes him back and they're having a conversation. And it's you, you kind of get the, the impression from Mara that she's not a complete... Like, yeah, yeah, and she would be understanding if she spoke to him. Yeah, you almost feel like they're gonna get there, and she's got that blood on her sleeves. And then he looks over, and she's rubbing her hands in all that blood in his eyes. And then you hear all the the bugs, flies, insects, and then her eyes split, and her mouth starts smiling. And you like, then it just cuts away. Are you like, oh, what's he done? Well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? When he goes back and he tells Christian about it, and he goes, "Well, what did you do? Where is she now?" He doesn't answer. He says, "I came over and told you." That's all he said. I came over and told you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mention if he did anything. So uh-huh. I don't think he would have done. I don't think he would have done anything. I think he would have got up out of there because, as the end scene shows, I think he knows deep, deep down that this isn't right. I don't think he does because when remember what he explains with Mara as well. He doesn't just say a face smiles. He says a head splits open yeah. and something comes out. Yeah. It, it well, that, I, I mean, think I'm the hoping head splitting he open is. But yeah, you absolutely have no clarification on you that. You get no clarification. No. I feel he does it. But then I think as well. Again, we see when he goes back and he tells Christian that, and he's like, you know, there's going to be a war and it's happening soon, and we need to get out of here. And he's like, Christian's like, okay. And he's like, what? You're, you're going to come with me? And he's like, yeah, I, d- I don't believe what you believe. But you but believe I it. I believe you believe so it. Let's do so it. let's, yeah, mm-hmm. I want to support you. And I just think that's like such a strong, beautiful friendship yeah. that he's like, I'm going to put my trust into you and I'm just going to follow you and hopefully we'll ride this through and you'll see. Well, like Chris was saying, that could also be the code of codependency thing where Christian is like, I'm brave. I'm ready to do this, and he's proving his his worth to himself. Yeah, Could I mean, be. either way, it it does it it does in some weird sort of way make out for a lovely moment between two friends in the most fucked up way possible, but it's still there. Yeah. Well, let's face it. We get to the end with both of them getting what they ultimately what they need, which is why knowing that it's not this isn't the end. Although obviously, if you want, you can read it as this just happens to be not the moment, not the moment. Every way, they look like people too. <laughs> That's brilliant. What a title! They look like people. Number two, two. <laughs> Perry, you can have that. That's right. I think the the final basement scene is um, for me quite intense. I think because... we stopped breathing when we watched this first time. Because <gasps> even though. There's not really much going on. It's just that, again, like, the way, like, he's like, you think I'm one of them, don't you? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, tie me up then, you know. 
and he's like, oh, you might you might get that through your mouth and your eyes. So he like gags him and puts that bag where he's head. And to be fair, like when he goes when he drops off to the side, I can imagine that's probably because he would have passed out because having your mouth covered and not being able to breathe properly yeah. is is gonna be quite dangerous. Um, but yeah, just watching like Wyatt what Wyatt thinks he's seeing with yeah. the the mask the, the not the twitching mask the twitching and the, of the um what so sounds like bones coming out of yeah, his face. Of the bag. Yeah. The bag over the head. Yeah. And the even trying to undo his hands with all the slime on and like when he's just holding that bottle of bleach. Right, is it bleach or is it? Oh, it's acid, sorry. Acid. So fury acid. Just right over, right over, over his, his head, head and you're like, oh, God, no, Legitimately, no. because, and I don't care who you are, people, you love these characters. And because you love these characters so much, it's so kind of like tense. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, please don't do it, please don't do it, please don't do it, please don't do it. And then he doesn't. <laughs> and he takes Thank his mask God. off and they, he unties him and they hug and they cry and you're like, oh my God, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Like, I cannot believe that you... I'm so happy that you didn't <laughs> just go down a rule where... Because well, in the real world, I'd have been... Oh, I would have much preferred it. Like, if I didn't like the characters, I'd have just preferred it if he'd have poured acid on him and then realised that he'd fucked up and had to live with that for the rest of his life. Well, because I love the character so much, I was like, I'm so glad that he didn't take that rule and actually let him survive and let him kind of, let them both, like you said, yeah. achieve something from that thing. And then the best thing is, is it the best thing? No. The hook in, and then he just stays to black. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, I remember everybody walking out of that screening because I think it was the last, one of the last films... Of the day, if I'm not mistaken. Quite possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just remember everybody walking out and just going, "Oh my god, <laughs> oh my actual god, what just happened?" Because just everyone was silent. You could have heard a pin drop. And I, I know it's a cinema, and we are being told to be quiet, but there was no sound, no breathing, or anything no. coming out of anyone in that screen. It, it was bizarre. It was tense, and it was so weird because when you consider uh, the. The Margaret, who plays Mara, was there, and she's like pregnant, and she's really like, "Oh, this is the film." Oh, she's she was like, like oh, "About <laughs> her hair," and she's, you know, she's so lovely and like, like nice. And then you watch the film, and the film doesn't delve too dark for the most part, does it? I guess it depends it, on your perception of mental health as to. I kind of mean like in in. Yeah, obviously it's about mental health, so yes, it's dark. But I mean, like, the idea, like, the the building of the relationships, everything's very light with them. Yeah. You Natural. You could, yeah, you could have... There's plenty of paranoid we could have had dark, gritty, nasty... Yeah. But I think the problem, the message is it isn't always like that. It's just somebody no. who gets one idea in their head and just can't let it go. But it's... Honest to God, and I'm not saying this just because I picked it... It is genuinely a fucking amazing film. I'm going to sum it up. All I can say is, this is a film that it it builds on its characters. It allows you to get to know and love its characters. It's got some of the strongest acting I've seen in forever. The most believable, realistic acting. It's not too long. 
Um, as it, no, it doesn't, it doesn't drag <laughs> itself out. It knows no, what its no. story. It knows its story and it tells it. We are going. Oh, we need to make a two-hour film here. Um, it's just incredible. It's beautiful. It's stunning. It's devastating, and it probably, as far as psychological horrors go, it is probably one of the best ever. So I'd say, fuck for, for, for my film. My film next, I guess. And who thought, or who said, I could not bring the fun, the psychological horror. We said that. You both said that. But I have, in a dark and fucked up and twisted way, I have brought the fun with 2014's Creep from Patrick Bryce. This bitch has brought us peach fuzz. You've brought us peach fuzz. You brought the fun, well done. I have brought the fun. Thank you. They said it can't be done. Honestly, (laughs) any movie genre, I will find the fun in it. Okay, so... Quick plot run through. So, Mark Duplass stars as Joseph. He, essentially, he is dying, we are told. He is already a cancer survivor. And, unfortunately, he has now found that he also has a brain tumour. An inoperable brain tumour. Which means, in a matter of months, he will sadly no longer be with us. So, Patrick Bryce, who also turns up as Aaron in this two-hander, is the videographer that Joseph hires for the day, the following round, and just see what he does on a normal day-to-day basis so that his son, Buddy, has this memoriam of his dad. And let's just say things things start odd and get a hell of a lot odder before the day is out. <laughs> the reason... a psych- as we've already said with psychological horror, these things set you just on unease. And with Duplass, his performance is the absolute mark of being able to set just something a little, just a little bit off with someone. See, you're laughing as if it seems like there's loads off with him. And by the end of it, it's clear there is loads <laughs> off with him. However, when you first meet him, he just seems... They have this little kind of quirky side to him. I guess you're thinking about the very same scene that I'm thinking about. The which very is like first about five scene. minutes yeah. into the film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, that that is that is, that is a bit that is a bit odd. He goes, but apart from that apart from that one thing which is about the because it's a short film, it only raised weighing about seventy seven minutes around that. Yeah. But apart from that scene early on, most of the day most of the start of the day is then wandering through the woods, looking for the heart. He, he sets himself up to be a weirdo from the beginning. I absolutely agree with you that it gets more intense as it goes along. But there's a scene right at the start where he's filming and he's like, so we're going to do so and so and so, so, okay? And he just looks down the camera and you see just the corner of his mouth go up a little bit. And it's so fucking effective. Like, you know something's not right with as, this kid. As I say, that's that little... Yeah. The little thing where there's something slight, slightly off with yeah. him. I'll be honest with you. I think... Yeah, you you are right. He, he does... It does... This, you feel uncomfortable, but you're not entirely sure why sometimes. So, like, the very beginning when he 
kind of meets um, Aaron. He calls him Aaron in the book. Um, so. Aaron. When he meets Aaron, he's like, we're going to spend the day together, so let's get this out of the way well, he and, jumped, and give a hug. He ju- he's already jumped out on him at this, <laughs> yeah. at this point. But he gives him the hug, and you'd be like, this is a bit awkward. Like, like if I were Aaron, I'd feel a little bit awkward right now that this strange man I've never met was just jump-scared me, immediately is hugging me. So you're right, there's that kind of sense of, like, this is, it's a bit odd. But then he kind of, like, for me, counterbalances it with... Oh bless! When he explains his story and why he's doing this, and it's to give his son memories, and you're like, "Oh, this is so sweet." I've seen Mark Duplass in a lot of roles. This is the best fucking role I've ever seen Mark Duplass in. Even though you've got him as an odd, quirky character, his humour in it just completely engages you with him so it doesn't matter if he's a bit odd or a bit out there he's so funny you're like right well i'm on this guy's that's, side <laughs> that, that's the thing he's such a likable guy i think even knowing what you know by the end i don't think anyone would sit there and go i i hate him i don't i don't think even you, you get to that for you go okay well yeah he's, he's done some he's done some bad things but i don't think you can hate him because he's evidently not in his right mind and you can't really hate someone because it's not his fault essentially i think he's not like crazy crazy like he's got a mental illness crazy i think he's just crazy as if he likes to punish he's... he likes to hurt people but i think we're jumping but one thing i will say which you write about is it's difficult to hate him i even after knowing what he's done i'd still like drop my pants oh, God, <laughs> well i was speaking of dropping pants so you get the bathroom scene. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So <laughs> this is this is the humour injection. Like, imagine you've just met a person for the first time, and they're asking you to film them, and you're like, "Yeah, I get your reasoning for filming." And then the guy just drops trowel in front of you. You're like, "What are you doing?" You see, this <laughs> is... and he's like, "Oh, sorry, are we not?" <laughs> this is where I like the film because he, he partially drops his trowel. He goes, "All right, you know, we're going to get more into." Are you okay this. with it? Yeah. Are, are you sure you're okay? And he's like, "Yeah." It's like. Do you want a sandwich? <laughs> Are you like, what? <laughs> i tell you what, if someone's paying me 10 grand to film them occasionally naked while feeding me sandwiches, it I'm on board. It's all right, it's fine. I remember seeing this. So I, I, I've got to hold my hand up. First time I saw a creep, I fell asleep and ruined it for everyone because I snowed my way through the cinema. You did. Um, but then I watched it again and saw your screams. And this scene that's coming up, this fake baby bath scene, was one of the most disturbing, uncomfortable things I saw in a long time. And I think the reason it's so uncomfortable is because he is so invested in this lie and he's absolutely convinced himself of this deception and that's why it plays out so well, just the little fucking things he's put... I mean, I don't know if he is, but probably not pulling out of thin air from what you learn from the end. But the lie that it goes along with is just so detailed and structured that you cannot help but believe but it. Again, as I say, it's that balance the whole way through. You look at it, you go, okay, you go, this man's acting really weird doing this bath scene, having bath his baby. But then you've got the reason for it. You go, yeah, but I can, I can kind of under. <laughs> it's odd, but I can kind of understand it. No. Yes. <laughs> could you, could you? Yes, yes. If you're gonna have a baby, if you're gonna have a kid, you want to go look bath. T- and he goes bath times with my dad were very special, so I'm gonna reenact it. Mm-hmm. The fact that he gets into it, you still go, 
Well, he's going a little bit over the top. I can understand why. Chris, let me ask you this. Do you want to bath me? <laughs> you're 12-year-old, 15-year-old, 20-year-old, however old you are when your mum goes, your dad made this video for you before he died, <laughs> and you watch that bath scene. What are you going to think? Because I know I'm going to be like, like, was he a fucking pedophile or something? I imagine like, he's rubbing me up. Is that rubbing it's him up? It's like he's going, this is no, my baby. He's got, it's, it's fire. He's got no. a line on his chest. I don't, I don't find it's any sort of, vile. no, there is nothing vile in that. I do no, not think that no. was meant in the way you're thinking. You're right. No, 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 no. It's not meant in that way. I know it's not meant in that way. But watching it, it's just like. It reminds me of a scene you might do horrible. in college. You know when someone tells you to act without an item? Like when you get told, oh, look for a pin on the floor. And you go on the floor going, where? And you pop your hands like, well, no, that's not how you look for a pin. You look for a pin with your eyes. It reminds me of one of those college scenes that you do. Baby in bath. Not baby in bath. Well, well that's I mean, what it were. Yeah, that's completely <laughs> what completely it were. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's brilliant, that scene. I fucking love it. Oh, I, 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 I do love it, but I also hear... More... <laughs> I love it's, it. As I say, it's just so, just those, those contrasting parts, and nothing says nothing says dangerous while completely disarming as a man wearing a scary wolf mask while singing the kid's song. Did I not say whilst we were watching Peach Fuzz that that's Mercer? You are Peach Fuzz. <laughs> That dance he does in the I mean, I just don't know how to take it. You said but it when he when he first came out. It's always like me. It. I do that dance. <laughs> um, yeah, the the peach fuzz bit is hilarious because I mean it's just a jump scare on its own, which is really funny. And at this point, you're already on that nervous spectrum. So when you do get a jump, it yeah, it yeah. throws you. We're, I mean, we're we're already going from laugh. We're already going from laughs to jumps the whole way yeah. through. It's, it's kind of keeping you manic in a yeah. way, is it not? This, I'm not one for jump scares because they don't always work on me. It, like, pretty much never work on me. I, I'm quite bored of jump yeah. scares. But actually, re-watching this, it's so perfectly done. Like, the jump scares are so perfectly yeah. timed and perfectly placed. And they're not fed to you half of the time. No. No, they're, lit- they're, they're like literally a jump scare. You're not like, oh, God, I've got three minutes of music playing. No, yeah, I mean well, that's the beauty say, of it. Yeah. Exactly, it's like when he first turns up. He's just sitting in the car, sitting in the car, going, oh, "I'm here to film this, film this guy." Bang on the way. No, no indication that's coming whatsoever. No, no. And say to complete, just sets you on edge. You're like Aaron by the time your mind's jelly, and you're completely on edge by the time you, you get. Are, you are. You're constantly being pulled back and forth, like when they go out on the walk and they're looking for the heart. Spa that's supposedly to again kill you. another beautiful and you, story yeah, again though. Then you find it and you're like, oh, they found it. That's amazing. It's like, oh, bring it in, bud. You're like, oh, that's really nice. Fucking psycho. <laughs> is is it? Does he do the jump scare before? He jumps out of him in the woods. It scares him. And yeah. I think that's one of my favourite things. Oh yeah, when he he, he scares me, he's like, um, I just you, uh, you felt death. I just give you a near death experience or something. <laughs> you're like. <laughs> I didn't, but that's so bizarre. Um, but I, I'm surprised Aaron stuck around for as long as he did, to be honest. But it's, it's, with that one, it's not about near death. It's more he's in the same way that he, Joseph, is screwed up and 
we find out just how screwed up by the end. He's given him, he wants to share that experience, that rage, because it's not the case we get, he doesn't focus on, oh, it's a near-death experience, he focuses on, you wanted to hurt me, didn't you? That's what, that's fine. At that point, you really wanted to hurt me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's the afterwards, and then he's like, did you think I want to kill you with the axe in my yeah. yard? He's, he's trying to share, he's trying to share that as, with his new best friend. He's not just sharing his life around it. He's like, well, this is what I do, and I'm going to share I'm going to share these bits with you because I want you to get on board with it as well, actually enjoy, enjoy this part. Another buddy film. Yeah, it's, it is a huge part. Yeah. I think we see the first kind of time where he almost fucks his character up or forgets his lie when when we go to the diner because pre-diner is told him about how good this diner is now. It's famous for its pancakes. And when he gets there, we do that scene where he's like, I'm just going to have to look at the menu. Yeah. Uh, let's see what this place has got. And he's like, I thought that you could be here all the time. And it's like, uh, yes. They've yes, got a new I menu. Do. Yeah. They could have a new menu, though. But, like, it, it, that, Again, that that's... felt a little out of, not out of place, but a little unusual, though. Like, yeah. something there, maybe. Makes you question a little bit. Again, that's Zally. That's Zally. Again, I'm just putting it out. He's going, you go, oh, I've got, I thought you knew it. Oh, new menu. Again, you go, just like you said, go, completely, okay, completely reasonable. They've got a new. They've got a new menu in, so I'm going to have a look in and see what they do. But he lied. He does lie. Oh, yeah. And then he also manages some to draw Aaron Indra's confidence during that that scene when they're chatting and Aaron's going about how he used to wet himself. Yeah, so making him vulnerable. It's a weird... It's, again, as, as again we... it's that mind game. It's, it's playing a mind game with you and making you the vulnerable yeah, one. Yeah, as weird as Joseph is, sharing that with someone you've just met that day is really mm. but you see you can do stuff like that out of nervousness as well so if you're in like a if you're in a friend group with some people you don't know if you've had a couple of drinks sometimes you do overshare a bit yeah to try and make sense or sometimes if, if you're with someone you think you're never going to see again don't matter what you tell them do they? I guess yeah and they do go on to share a few drinks later on and that's when we learn that Peach was isn't this nice innocent children's friendly Entertainer. Although saying that, he sounds like a lot of children's entertainers, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so I know that... I know that his character can be quite dark, but for me the darkest part of this film is where he's talking about his wife and the animal porn that's found and how he rapes his own wife in the peach fuzz mask. I mean, you know it's all a lie, because he's crazy. Um... But that is so uncomfortable to listen to. You're like, again, I'm still on the nervousness of it where I'm like, oh, this is a... I'll tell, I'll tell you what else feels dark. Should we be discussing this? I'll tell you what else feels dark with that as well at that point. Because we then, we have the phone call later on from Angela when it's found that it's his sister and she says he's not in his right mind. What actually, was it his, was it his wife who actually ended up, ra- ended up assaulting? Or was it just a lie? Or was it his, or was it his poor... Sister, when she comes, oh, in. same so. name. It's we don't know. It's not clear. It's pretty vivid in what he's describing. True, yeah. but like you said about his story about Buddy and Tubby time, Tubby and time and stuff. That's quite vivid. It makes you wonder whether he's talking about maybe Angela's family, like maybe. her husband, her child. So he's taking their role to base it on. I'm confused by Angela's appearance because. If she 
later on in the film we find out oh no because she throws his mobile but I'm just confused by the where she like why she comes into it and why how if they know how unstable he is if she knows how unstable her brother is why he's not in a facility or got you help can't, or because something. maybe she doesn't know how unstable she he is. was saying to him you need to get out of that house now yeah but I mean she, she can have she can have an inkling or a belief how dangerous he is you can't you can't you can't put that down and say, "Well, he must have been that bad, so he must have had, they must but, have institutionalized him." But if you didn't think someone was technically terribly dangerous, would you say to somebody on the other phone, "All right, if you can't get out a wee car, get out of the house, start walking, just keep walking, send me the address, and I will come yeah, and get you." The thing is, that, that is the thing is that you might, fears for that person's you, life. You might have a belief about that, but if you can't prove it of that person, then the fact they walk around free isn't. Is it unbelievable? You, can, could I, you... can I throw something in the works here? We know there's a Creep 3 coming. Right? There's a Creep 3 coming. It's been on the cards for a while. Maybe Angela, Maybe Angela is involved. But she may have... But at this point with her turning up, she serves just so we can get that final push to have Aaron go, right, no, <gasps> I'm, break, I'm breaking for it. This is... This is done, Mama. Off. There's a question. Very quickly. Do we know that Creep Two is definitely set after Creep One? I don't recall any scenes that would lead me to believe that. But I've not watched it in a while. I wonder. Creep Two could be a prequel. Angela could be the woman from Creep Two. She absolutely could. Called it. We've just. <laughs> Mom, do We've done it. Could it out? Could it, it out? It's ours. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, as I say, so she's she's there at that point to serve as that final push for him to go. No, you know what? This is this is too. I've felt that something's off. Everything seems really odd, and now I've had this call saying you got it. So that's it. He is skedaddling. He is out the door. And this leads to my, I think, one of my favourite scenes in movie history. Are you talking about the when he runs downstairs? Oh, okay. And uh, Joseph's already run off, and like Aaron's trying to get out, and he runs downstairs. And Joseph stood at the door in the peach fuzz glass, and he's like, "Just let me out." And he's just shaking his head, no. And and then he just starts gyrating his body yeah. against the door. Oh, it's so unsettling. And it's like, what <laughs> the fuck is going Brilliant. on? Brilliant. It's honestly, I think that's one of my favourite scenes in movie history. It's so good. And then he attacks him. And then they play that very clever red herring on us because they do that attack. And then we see the bat. Then, then we see, see the next. The next scene is the shot of Joseph digging the grave and the three big carrier bags. Yeah, and you're like, <gasps> so you think he's been think knocked out? Yeah. But no, he has not. Joseph wants a little bit more fun. <laughs> yes, jo- Joseph wants to play a game. Mm-hmm. He just wants to be friends, ultimately. Yeah. As you say, this is a this is a movie about friends and rejection. This is what friends would have. This is this is what friends would be if Michael Haneke directed it. <laughs> so he he sends him he sends him that DVD, that DVD obviously in, enraged that he's abandoned him in the way he has, and then he sends him a nice gift. He does. He sends him a very nice locket and with that's the two. A weird fucking gift. <laughs> a very nice locket with a picture of the two of them in it. While that plays music. While also constantly skulking around his property and cutting his. <laughs> 
cut his hair for him. There's a friend. Do you want to go to the hairdressers? You got oh, a friend in me. It's horrible that scene where he's where he's walking around with a baseball bat and you just see him stood at the door. Yes. Oh, because well, he, <laughs> he stood in front of the door going to send anyone there, and when he walks away, and he just stood he's just outside there. Like, like, no. Nope, rope. The fact that he follows him outside as well. I'm like, mate, get back in your house. Don't be going outside. And then, now we know by now, don't we? We know how crazy Joseph yeah. is at this point. We know he's gone. We know he's a nutter. We know he's crazy. We've seen he's crazy, even though Aaron hasn't seen it all. Yeah. Yet he sends him that video, that DVD, saying, I'm just lonely. I just want a friend. And you watch that and you go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's exactly circling back to the point at the start. That you can't, you can't hate him. You cannot Ooh. hate Joseph's character. You can't. You're just like, oh, I'll be your friend. When, er- when Aaron goes to meet him, he says, I want to meet you at this lake. If you come, that's great. I would appreciate it. So Aaron, in his wisdom, turns up. He says, right, okay, well, I've got police on speed dial, should anything happen. And I'm filming it. Well that's, done, Aaron. That's, that's completely it. Because you go, a lot of people wouldn't look at that and go... Well, he's clearly nuts going to meet him. But when you look at where he is, you go, as you say, you go, he's got police on speed dial. He's filming the entire thing. He needs the evidence of him being weird because the police, from the call he's made earlier, will clearly not believe anything that he's saying. To public them. place. A public place. And a huge open public place. As with the invitation, as with they look like people, the scene by the lake is, again, something where I feel so fucking tense... And can't do you can't do anything about it. If you haven't seen Creep, muffle you. But um, Joseph creeps up behind Aaron and just holds an axe above his head, and it's all quiet. It's like you hear like a random buzz story. Turns around, but they don't turn around again. He's on his phone, and he stands there for the longest time. The whole build up to that. I think is very, very kind of almost brave of like um which one directed? Patrick Bryce. Patrick Bryce. They both wrote it. It was co-written and Patrick Bryce directed. We focus on that bench from the second we start that scene um, and we have all the talking and then we have him, Aaron walking down to the bench and then we have Peach Rose comes up. What I love about that is the way Peach Rose stands there for a bit then takes the mask out, puts gives, the mask Gives on. him the opportunity to turn mm-hmm. around and he doesn't. Then and gets the axe, then creeps down. When we watched this again at Celluloid, the minute you saw him come on screen, because it was, again, silent in that screening, and you saw him come on and everyone just went, oh. <laughs> it just says, oh, what is going down? I'll let you finish it now. He's got to the point where he's raised the axe. He's raised the axe, and maybe Chris should have the honour of this bit. He, he raises the axe, holds it there, oh, as you say, for the a long, time. long, long time. And then, funk! That thud is gut-wrenching. I hate that thud so much it goes through me. It's so, it's so what's the word? Like, muted, like... Mm. It, sounds, it, it's, me. it sounds as yeah. you'd expect it, the sound if you smashed an axe into someone's head. Oh, it's so it's horrible. horrible. There's, no, so there's, horrible. No, there's no loud splat effects. It's just a... As if you're hitting some... As if you had your axe embedded. Like, if you ever, if you ever throw an axe 
a piece of wood. If you've ever chopped a piece of wood and thrown an axe in a piece of wood, that's exactly that kind of funk you yeah. get when you hit it into it. But the fact as well that, that it's it's quite far away mm. and you can still it hear it. The sound. Yeah. Like oh, could you imagine hearing that up close? No. That's a horrible, it's horrible. sound. And, and then I, I love what it does next. Yeah. The way that it then just kinda like moves camera around to him watching that video. Yeah. And you're like, Oh man, how long ago has this happened? <laughs> Like, when and, did this happen? And that's when you learn, obviously, that this is something he does all the time and he's got yeah, hundreds <laughs> upon hundreds of DVDs. I was say, videos. yeah, he's got like a blockbuster story in yeah. his, uh, <laughs> his cupboard. And he's on the phone to his next victim. Yeah. Incredible film. Absolutely incredible. Creep 2 were just as good. Uh, we're not here to discuss Creep 2, but Creep, Creep 2, 2 was just as, just as good. Yeah. Oh, so good. So, yeah, it's a really, really good film, Chris. Amazing Thank film. you, Eric. Which I didn't have anything to do with, but thank you. <laughs> As a choice, though. Yeah. As a choice. Yeah. As so, a choice. The, the sum it up, if, if you're looking for something where you're deeply unsettled and while it appears on the surface of it, you should know why. There's just that little niggling thing there constantly eating away. You, you can't figure out what is going on and why you're so unsettled and you want what is clearly amazing improv work and two spectacular performances Patrick Bryce nails Aaron completely but the star turn is from Mark Duplass and is completely unhinged by the end Joseph if that's what you want if that's what floats your boat and that's what you're looking for in a psychological horror then vote for Creep so moving on to the fourth pick today, we've actually got a special guest with us and it's their film that we're going to be discussing. So we've got Animator and uh, you tell us what you've picked and why. All right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's fun to be talking with you guys. Uh, I I picked Jacob's Ladder from, I want to say, was it 96, 1996, somewhere around there? 1990. Is it? Mm. Oh my God, I'm way off. Yeah, <laughs> it's a movie I... I know so little about. I don't know the. No, it, it's a movie that I saw. Um, so I, I was, I would have been eleven uh, when it came out, but I saw it a few years later, and it, it made an imprint on me. Um, it, it's it, in terms of it's a movie that you see that breaks all the rules, and it's probably the first movie that I saw that was a complete rule breaker. It takes its own form, and. Um, it, it it's the kind of movie you look at and you say, wow, if I'm allowed to do that, I really, I really want to make, I really want to make movies. Um, and it's, I guess probably some people don't think of it as a horror film. Um, it's a, it's a film about a, a, a Vietnam soldier who um, it, 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 his, his particular troop is, is out in the jungle and uh, things go really awry and he is badly injured and you start to take a trip through his consciousness um, at a film that purposefully disorients you uh, as you move through what feel like different realities and different planes of time. And you watch the through line sort of being him in the future struggling to understand what happened to his troops and if there was some sort of secret government testing uh, that, was that, that, that caused the whole event. Um, 
and it, it moves into this sort of grand exploration of, of, you know, facing our demons in life, uh, in order to be redeemed. And, 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 uh, um, it's, it's something I thought of as a real puzzler, but it's, then I went back and rewatched it knowing we were going to talk about it. And I actually thought it was very, um, more than I remembered, very overt about what it's doing. Um, mm. You know, it was kind of, I, I don't know why it was so hard to figure out back then, but like you see it again, it's like, it's, it's, it's very clear. So I won't go on and spoil for anyone who hasn't seen it, all the, the, the puzzles of it. I'll say it's, it's an Adrian Lyne movie who did Fatal Attraction and um, Indecent Proposal and the Lolita remake and Unfaithful and a lot of great movies, um, but not known as a horror director. But I think of this movie as having perfect horror set pieces. None better than the subway scene. Mm. I'm still scared of subways because of this movie. <laughs> so it's cool. It's a cool mix of like it. It does. It it does its own thing, completely. But it also does like what I think of as horror set pieces um, that you might find in any movie about as well as as I can remember anyone ever having done them. And it has an amazingly performance by Tim Robbins. Yeah. There is some trippy stuff in Jacob's Ladder. I mean, the, the party scene, I, I, we can spoil because I, I'm assuming, hoping people yeah. have seen Jacob's Ladder before, uh, but the party scene's quite, quite shocking. Just, what, obviously because it's all in his mind, what makes you come up with something like that? Like a tentacle monster? Is that yeah. what it is? A weird, <laughs> a weird kind of tentacle sexual assault kind yeah, of... It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I literally, I think for me, that's the best strobe in cinema. Mm. Like it's the most effective strobe light effect and it gets so slow near the end and disorienting. And yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's another brilliant, just a brilliant horror set piece. And since they're dealing in kind of dreamscapes in, in a world where, where logic and reality, they get to sort of divorce themselves from all those rules. There's so much freedom um, to, to, to take you new places and, and it surprises you kind of around every turn. See, with you saying that you went back and you, um, it, it's quite clear what the story is when you go back to it. It absolutely is. Cause I, I remember watching Jacob's Ladder years ago and not taking into account any of the religious aspects involved in it or that it could be going through his mind but if i went back now yeah that story would absolutely make sense but i did have to look it up i'm not gonna lie i had to look into the uh to the biblical side of things until you have that... yes i would too mm. i mean until you have that final speech from is essentially his guardian angel yeah where it's all about demons stripping it being stripped of all those things which are still tying you Louis. to actually moving on until then there's there's still ambiguous you could easily get confused as to what's going on before that final speech. Mm. Yeah, you, you could say it's a comment on mental health if you weren't, if, if you didn't know what was going on. You could say it's a PTSD. It, it's got so many angles it can come in from. So, yeah. Well, that's something that confused me because the movie has a postscript, right? And it, and it after the movie's over, it tells you about what really happened mm. with the testing. And that kind of threw me off because I'm interested in that, but it seems like if you were going to make a movie and that's the point, this is a very strange way to go about making that point. Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting. I, I, for me, that's not what the film is about. That's like an interesting factual 
parallel to the film. I think the film is much more, it's bigger than that in scope and about, you know, the experience of dying and the experience of living and how you reconcile those things in the moment of your death mm. and how the moment of your death can stretch out. You know, I think of this movie as perfectly in sequence. You know, when you understand what it is, it's like, I think this is exactly what he goes through over the course of his death and where he travels and what he sees. And we're actually, that we feel disoriented and all over the place, we're totally in sequence, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, as you say about that postscript, because there's that commentary on the, on the Vietnam War and what they've gone through at that point, there's also that bit in the opening scene where obviously they get, the village appears, or the campsite appears to be attacked by the Vietnamese. Yeah. But everyone's actually shooting and attacking and kill everyone. The only person who's fine, who doesn't get hurt at all, is the guy who just sits there and doesn't raise a, doesn't raise a gun. Mm. There's definitely an allegory there about what about the USA's involvement in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And the look on that guy's face while he's sitting there is, oh. I think uh, what what you've said about it tends to be the general uh, opinion. You know, if you go online, a lot of people have said that they did find the commentary at the end out of the ordinary for the film, but that they still took away their own interpretation of it. So it seems sure. to be that that's that's the effect that it seems to have on a lot of people, which is which is great because you don't have to just narrow it down to one thing. Yeah. 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 So this was a first time watch for me. Um, oh, I know, okay. right? Um, <laughs> quite embarrassing, really. Um, and then what's also embarrassing is I literally spend the entire movie going, "What? <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't. Is this real? Which is this part real? Is he a, is he dead? Is he alive? Is he still in Vietnam? What what's going on? Um, the only thing I was certain of is that uh, is uh, Jezebel was a bit of a. Mina. Oh, she was That's it. Oh, <laughs> was my like, God. She's don't terrible. Like you. Terrible. Uh, yeah, but I, so it feels quite funny, the fact that you said when you go back and watch it, you're like, ah, yes, yes, this all makes sense and um, very clear to me. And I'm, I'm just still saying, going, I don't know whether this was real or not. Like, <laughs> Well, that's certainly where I was the first time, too. I think that's kind of what's cool about the movie is it's, it is a completely different watch the second time. And there are, you know, then you can see, you know, they're putting little halos of light above Daniela, Daniela's yeah. head. And um, they even bring that one line back about demons tearing your life away in a, in a voiceover at just the right moment near the end. Mm. Um, and Macaulay Culkin wandering around there in his first movie <laughs> too, huh? That also threw me um, when, when he come out of like, Macaulay Culkin? Yeah. Like, what? This is, is he even born yet? Um, yeah. this, if Adrian Lyon could go back and recast that, I'm sure he would. He had no idea that that was going to be like a household face because that's the first time. That, I think I, I read an interview with Macaulay Culkin where he was like, yeah, I sort of remember doing it. I, I'm certain they would not let me see the film <laughs> for a very long time. I, 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 did, I did not like the faces. The faces creeped me out. They were terrifying. Just the flash of them going past, you don't even get to focus yeah. on them. Ugh. No, don't like that. Yeah, yeah, it strikes to the uncanny, you know. That's that's. I think that's some of my favorite elements in, in the horror that I respond to is is the just that uh, that underhanded version of just fucked up and uncanny and wrong and and not in your face enough that you ever focus on it uh, completely. And 
it's in contrast to a world that's like really lived in. Like I love the, um, I love how they work in that post office and how busy it is and how the production design is all, this is so much, there's so many props. There's so much texture. Um, and every, it just feels, everything is like, has that urgent paranoia about it, almost like punch drunk love or something, the way everything feels a little like coked up and, and, and hyper energized in a way that just doesn't let you settle. Uh, Definitely a movie. You don't feel right until the next day. I felt everything felt a little bit dirty um, as well. Like, just just mm-hmm. scenery, backgrounds, everything kind of like made like made me want to shower. Um, <laughs> if that makes sense, no, it didn't. It's just yeah. like the house felt a little bit cluttered and dirty in the apartment. Obviously, the subways, the subway quite dirty. In New York City doesn't really dirty and sweaty. Yeah, it Very, all felt a little yeah. bit which like... which he obviously was at the end. He was. Yeah, I wonder if that's the the match Vietnam though. Yeah, like how, yeah how dirty, sweaty, cramped conditions they were in. There. Yeah, yeah. The to the bathtub full of ice is another amazing sequence. I think that's really intense. That bathtub scene, um, just just him. The way he's killing me. Yeah, you're killing me. It's all yeah. It's all performance, and in the way this sort of the the community in that hallway sort of rushes, you know, with all their ice into that help. Like it's just so much activity. It's staged really, really well. Yeah. Um, and it's bleak and yeah, they don't pull any punches in like the emotional world. Um, I did find on rewatch, there was a little bit of like melodrama. Like when he goes and visits his friend in the bar and his friends breaking down, or even when the guy, the spook at the end kind of takes him to the, the on underground, that tunnel place and tells him what's going on. Those scenes didn't fly. Those are the things that didn't fly quite as much for me this time that felt like, um, little stabs of melodrama a little i mean maybe that's sort of adrian line you know little bits of like fatal attraction getting in there or um you know there being a little like extra sex lighting here and there that's like, ah, this guy likes his sex lighting he makes sexy movies and this is not one of them and we should not have sex lighting here but know your audience <laughs> Yeah. I don't know, we have Tim Robbins in a bathtub, that's enough to get. Well, well. <laughs> it's not, not a commentary on the film at all, but I was quite surprised by how tall Tim Robbins is. Genuinely, He's very I, didn't, tall. I didn't think he I've, was a tall man. I thought he was short. I have stood next to him. I have stood next to him outside a theatre in Los Angeles, and yeah, very tall, I can confirm. Crazy. There you go, who is? Exclusive. Tim Robbins is Tim tall. Robbins is tall. <laughs> Quick, someone contact Cudian. Um, what I um, again, what I liked about the movie you pointed out earlier is the way that it purposely disorientates you throughout. So, like, just the really quick jumping from scene to scene, like, especially with just the very quick Vietnam inserts and then back yeah. into whichever reality we come into. Um, so, like I said, when, when I was like, oh, I don't know what's going on, it was, it was. A, I'm dumb, but B, like, um, they just did a very good job of kind of, like, not allowing you as the viewer to get comfortable. I'll say comfortable, but you're not really comfortable throughout, but get kind of used to where you are. So yeah. that's that's really awesome. And then there's a lot of things, I don't know, like, maybe I'm reading too much into things now, but the whole, there's the scene where we see the... Before the girls start singing Mr. Postman to him, 
He walks past a burnt-out car. And then we find out his doctor was in a car explosion. And then there's the other car explosion. And I'm like, are these all... Like, is that burnt-out car actually the basis of his kind of mind telling him the other two stories? Or it's just trippy. It's all interlinked, isn't it? It's, yeah, or yeah. shells going off, you know, in the war. Like, yeah, that's it's a really... I mean, it's... When when uh, when they leave the bar and the guy gets blown up, there's that shot where he's reaching for the quarter in the road, and the quarter gets swept away before his fingers reach it by the by the initial like explosion happening. I mean, it's really, I I I think there's some stuff that 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 are just purposefully delightfully flapping loose ends, completely open to interpretation yeah. or just at least dream logic, which uh, I'm attracted to because I I also think. I, you know, I, I talked to some people who don't like this movie because they have a reaction that's sort of like, oh, it was all a dream kind of reaction, which is just not how I see this. Mm-hmm. I understand how that feeling can be to make you feel sort of robbed of your experience. But I, I just think this is kind of the opposite. It was like it, it might have been out of space and time a little bit, but it was a true, meaningful, conscious experience. Um, so I feel I feel it's all sort of. um uh, it gets better for me at the end. Well, you know, puts me back on a footing. That's the thing. There's a solid reason behind the whole actual trippy dream, not dream. Yeah. Our, our near death kind of experience. This isn't Dallas where they've not. <laughs> they don't know they're in the scene and they've gone right. Okay, it's all a dream. Tim Robbins in the shower. Yeah, yeah. Tim Robbins. In the, <laughs> we're back to Tim Robbins in the bath again. Yeah, no. This is. <laughs> This isn't the case they read it and they've gone, no, no. oh, we boxed ourselves into a corner here. It was all a dream. You see, <laughs> obviously the, the Jacob's Ladder part of, of it is a religious thing. I, again, I didn't know until I looked it up, but to me, Jacob's Ladder was a toy where it flips and it goes back on itself. And I thought that's kind of what the film represented as well as you're in one place and then another and it just kept going and going. So it had double meaning for me. It were... But yeah, I... I yeah. I, I, I like the way it played out and I, I definitely didn't feel cheated at all with that ending. No. I thought it was great. <laughs> it was brilliant. And the talent in it as well. The talent's crazy. Like, yeah. Jason Alexander, yeah. Eric LaSalle, and they're all so young. Lots of them. They're all so young. Yeah, Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames. That threw yeah. me for a barrel. I'm like, what? Yeah. I, I, yeah. never really thought of him as a real actor. <laughs> I know he is. <laughs> And they all play their part so well in his head because obviously, uh, you know, times have changed now where it's, I don't want to say normal because it's always been normal. That's not my view at all, but it's normal for men to feel emotion and to cry and they're sharing that experience together and it's completely fine. Nobody's questioning it because they have been through so much. They feel they can be that emotional around each other in his head, obviously. But Yeah. yeah. I love their dynamic. It's fantastic. Yeah, it, yeah I, I, I already, I have like the slimy want to shower feeling just talking about it. It's like, and I, it's something I've always loved about movies. I think I can, like, like Sounds of the Lambs does that to me. Seven does that to me. Mm. And these are all movies I consider horror movies that some people would take it off that shelf and say they're crime dramas. No, definitely in the horror psychological section. Drama. They're yeah. in there. Mm. We're not horror stops. Nope. They don't have to fall into a certain <laughs> category. Uh, yeah. No, I think um, 
and like you said about Jacob's Ladder, people might not see it as a horror. I think it definitely fits into uh, a horror, into the horror genre. Um, I'd never even question it, to be honest. No, no. Um, well, the genre's taken so much from it. I mean, that shaking head effect has been aped so many yeah. times. That, that like, shot of the, uh, the, the, the misaligned wheel as they're wheeling them through the like body part corridors that's been aped so many times. So it clearly had its impact on a lot of, you know, future horror makers too, because mm. you see Jacob's ladder everywhere. The and they re- they remade it last year or the year before. Yeah. yeah. We found out. Yeah. Last, yeah. last night. <laughs> I'm down. Wow. Was it Denzel? Was it Denzel? Jesse Williams. Oh, I don't know who that is. From um, Robin in the Woods. <laughs> well, they, yeah. 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 Um, that shaking head scene um, I was reading was a massive inspiration for the Silent Hill mm. games. So I think that's quite cool that it's um, influenced more media. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I th- overall, I think personally, I think it's a, it's a, it's quite a good film. It's not <laughs> as good as my choice. <laughs> and, uh, just so you know. He just wants to win. <laughs> I've lost three weeks in a row. Cursed. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it is, it is quite a good film. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a massive fan of the ending. Not the ending because he's died and it's a dream. I'm, it's just the pre pre to that, the whole... Or is it after that? When Macaulay Culkin's leading him upstairs. Is I'm it because like, oh, Come on, you're dead, we know. <laughs> Like, it felt a little drawn out and precious to you, that the, <laughs> the, the sort of ascension into the light. Well, yeah, yeah I think I, I think that for me, kind of like just typically yeah. like like that religion. Uh, you know, I'm all for anyone believing in what they want to believe, um, but I don't know. For me, I just felt like mm, no, that that don't work for me. Just kill him on his mm. table, and I'd be happy. <laughs> Yeah, no, not that but you I know what's what's nice about that is is you feel all that drama in that scene where where he's ascending. But when they end up in that in that medical tent where they give up on the fight for him, I it's uh, the contrast is so beautiful. That scene is so those guys are just going to get a sandwich after trying to save this guy, and they're just kind of tossing it down, yeah. like mentioning his name. So I like the way that plays in contrast. That drama ends up being this dry, almost underhandedly thrown away you know final note which is cool if you if you were to sum up why jacob's ladder would be the best psychological horror what would you say i think (laughs) i i i think psychological horror for me often depends on on the rule breaking you know i think you have to break the rules of logic to properly bend the mind and um movies that deal in dreamscapes or you know nightmare in elm street or you know like things things where where they get to play in that realm um i think this is the most effective that has ever been for me because since it wasn't marketed as a straight horror movie i felt like they were more inventive uh, it felt like more explored the subtle like what it what it subtly means to be out of place or those those horrible uncanny things you see in a dream that aren't just a dude with knives coming at you um so the way I felt after watching it, like I've never, I've never felt that way after any other psychological horror. And I still can connect with that feeling when I watch it. Um, so the things that are important to me uh, are also in there. I, I think usually to do this well, you sacrifice some character 
um, you, you, you know, the, the technical kind of overcomes the character driven stuff at the story. And I think actually those things marry, they marry really well here. Um, I think it's an incredible lead performance and performances all around. Um, so yeah, the, some of it is if it's a mind fuck contest, you know, you know, when your mind has been good and fucked and my mind has never been quite fucked. <laughs> That's probably the best summary I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Way better than ours. <laughs> We're just like, yeah, just because we like it. <laughs> yeah, it's right. <laughs> well Amazing. done. Thank you. I, I, I applaud you for saying mindfuck three times as yes. well. Yeah, just just drilling it in there. They just kept uh, rolling out on me. It was not my my plan or intention. But yeah, this is a family there, friendly there show. Went. <laughs> Obviously not. No. So, um, to be cheeky, can we maybe talk a bit about your work? Is that all right? Is that cool? Oh, please. Yes. Yay. Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, you were saying earlier about with Jacob's Laddie, you've taken a lot of inspiration and maybe not putting things to the forefront and having them linger in the background and Witching the Window is just that <laughs> completely for us. Um, we f- I first saw it at Friday Fest when it played there, managed to get last ticket in the last season. Really? Yeah, the last Oh, that's ticket. so cool. And, I was um, so mad not to be there for that screen. Oh, it was I... so good. The first time you see Lydia where they're, they're in the garage and she's just right back in the window and it just, it just you you wouldn't even notice her. But I spotted her and I went, oh my God, look, she's there. <laughs> like, yeah. so Plus, clever. that's the third time. That's oh. the third time. Really? Is it? Yeah. No. There's the one in the, there's one in the, which in the window, literally, there's the shot in the window, uh, yeah, but that one, right? In... Yeah, right there, there's like the title, like where, uh, like right before my name pops up, uh, when, when they pull up on the house, she's in her window. I did not notice subtly. that subtly. And then there's a part where they're touring the house in the beginning and they're in the kitchen mm. and they're talking, um, he's they're making jokes about whether or not his dad should cook, and she is in the window, really out of focus, but in the window behind, yeah, and that one too. So um, yeah, that's. I was so excited to play that, to play that game. It was a very early idea, and um, it's funny that by the time the movie had come out, mm. uh, uh, how, uh, the Haunting of Hill House existed, and people were like talking about them. Conquer, and I hadn't. I still actually haven't seen that. Um, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it I feels like something I should see. I like. I like his stuff generally, but um, yeah, we we just had a lot of fun. If I had had the the actress who played Lydia for more of the shoot, I would have done even more. And I think in any movie I make from here on out, there's got to be at least one, right? She's got to be in every in every movie oh, at least yes. once. Oh, in a yes. Yes. She'll do it. She's game. Yeah. <laughs> she, she was really. She was fantastic. I mean, yeah. Sorry, man. I was going to say, don't know if you're aware, but I probably that. Maybe embarrass Chris now, but when we did uh, our favorite, one of our favorites, Chris picked which of the window mm. for the best in haunted haunting genres. Uh, so the best haunted house, yeah, genre. Thank you. Which of the window was Chris's <laughs> pick, um, which was good actually because um, I, I, it was a first watch for me when I got to see that. So I didn't get a ticket at Fright Fest like these two. So. Ah. <laughs> that was my first choice as soon, yeah. as soon as those tickets went on sale bang middle row front row yeah. bang in the middle yes yeah I missed out um, on, on tickets as Faith said she got the very last one 
on the other day mm. we could have got it. So I, I probably watched something pants, but <laughs> far far inferior. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm glad that Chris picked it because yeah, it would have probably fell under my radar, um, which is a surprise because. Um, you know, there, there, yes. there were a lot of people who walked out of the screen uh, a bit misty-eyed. Myself oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> something in my eye. Well, that, I was, I was going to say that's that's one of my favourite things about about your work, especially with We Go On and The Witch in the Window. Just the fam, just the the actual relationship between the family characters, whether that's Clark or Annette or yeah. Alex and Charlie on Witch in the Window. It's just so it's just so well drawn and well well worked. You believe completely that they're related in the interaction between them. I really want to uh, adopt a perspective and, and and take what I learned from getting a theater degree and having a theater background, and that's why these things matter to me so much. Because um, I think horror horror especially is often populated like purposefully with like young souls. You know, if that has meaning for you, yeah, like kind yeah, of yeah. fresh faces, naivete, like it's their first time around the sun sort of thing. And that's appealing. But it is, I spent a lot of time as a kid wondering like what what it would feel like if they were more populated with, with the people that I recognize in my life and connecting to each other with more um, like gallows humor, especially like characters themselves having senses of humor or in the case of Witch in the Window, having a period of the movie where they're enjoying Kind of like yeah, it's kind of yeah, fun yeah, to be in a haunted house until it's not. Yeah. Um, there's like a, you know, it's it's because that's why we're all in the theater, too, and, and why we're attracted to horror movies. So our characters having a little bite of that, you know, feels good to me, in addition to hopefully a genuine kind of love between them. With, with you having a theater background, have you ever thought about doing a, a theater show, like a ghost theater show? In the same way as ghost stories, well, yeah, woman like in ghost black. stories yeah. or woman in black. I did. I did that in... Um, in college, uh, I, where I went to college right near where we shot Witch in the Window at Middlebury College in Vermont. Um, and Jesse, who I formerly worked with on uh, my co-director on, on the first two movies, when we were at school, we would do these midnight black box theater shows that were uh, horror theater. Um, I had a play. I still think it's kind of it, it's as scary as anything I've ever done on film where it was in a completely in a power failure. And everyone came into the black box theater and the whole play was lit only by the Polaroid camera flash oh, and sort of amazing. the after image of the camera. There's really cool things you can do in theater actually when you're really in the environment and, and uh, you can mess with people's uh, all five of their senses. Yeah. <laughs> Is that where that more slow burn kind of style comes from with you? Obviously with, uh, with We Go On and Witching Window because you you're not there doing that flashy special effects kind of stuff it's that theater, <laughs> it's that theater yeah. background where you do that you build that kind of and you got that slow burn yeah it's nothing there's there's nothing in usually in the films that you wouldn't be able to try to recreate on stage yeah it's true it's true that, that, that sensibility does come from there it also comes from having low budgets if you have low budgets and you're smart you should make a slow burn movie because you need like half the footage because um, it moves at a slower pace. If you, you know, I, I think we've always, I've always had to be a producer and know what I could afford. And, um, my sensibilities are actually like I have six, you know, screenplays ready to go. Um, I've been writing like a fiend during this pandemic, and I'm 
you would probably be surprised at the style of some of them after what you've seen. Because if I get more resources, I'm interested in a lot of different styles. And uh, I feel like I've been playing in the chamber orchestra for a long time, and I'm ready to like get out the electric guitar. Yay! <laughs> Yeah. Not, not that there's anything wrong with what you were doing before. We're, we're huge fans, obviously. No, it's, I it's appreciate It's always that, nice to yeah. see, yeah, someone go in a different direction. Yeah, and my favorite directors, they, I, I like, I like, I'm in love with stories, right? And it, so it's not just one kind. I think if if I have a sensibility that comes forward, it's going to be through that character connection, through uh, sincerity is a word I use every day on my sets. Just when in doubt, coach, step forward and mean what you say. Um, and this sort of like a sense of wisdom and wonder behind things is, is important to me. Um, but beyond that, I like, you know, like how Steven Soderbergh, like you never know what style he's going to come forward with yeah. or like a Richard Linklater who could do like a Bernie and then a boyhood. And you just, it's fun to change pace and change flavors and, and, um, kind of shake things up a bit. So that's my hope. Nice. Just because I'm genuinely curious and have been for a long time, what was the what was the decision behind including Magic Eye in Witch in the Window? Because you couldn't read it for a long I, time. I know, it, it took me ages to be able to get the technique down, and I still I can't yeah. do Magic Eyes. I did it. <laughs> we had a rough time with that on set because um, you can't. You, you you can't even if you are someone who can do them when you're stressed you can't so i remember we were trying to hang it on the wall and we didn't know if it was upside down or right side <laughs> up. and we were like oh someone has to like lock in and see it um when i wrote it i thought i just thought it would be it would it would be sort of a reflection of my goals with the movies to fill the frame with one of those and just let the audience have at it um, it kind of is a cue to an audience that we're trusting you with things um, and, and that you can just, uh, it's going to move on without you. If you get it, great. If you don't, you're going to wonder. Um, and I think my initial imaginings were like, it would be something more complex, um, like a, like even an image of her face or something. And then I, I learned how they work <laughs> I had to make them myself. I was like, that's not going to fly. I have to come up with something that's clear. And that feels um, subtle. Like I wanted it to be smaller because it was leading into a bigger scare. Uh, so I actually did them by hand. I learned how to do the stereograms. I, I like, you know, kind of hand drew the names and then had them made up and had the posters made up. And um, yeah, it was fun. It's, yeah, people bring it up a lot. It, 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 it like sticks with people. It's interesting. It's it's, cause it, it's it's just it's like a little chill when the names yeah. do. Change. You go, oh, <laughs> look what happened there. Talk, so, yeah, yeah, it's so effective. Talk about chills. The the best or one of the two best scenes. The first one when they're using the mobile phone with, yeah. with Lydia because they react in a way that's completely believable. <laughs> if she moved, I would also be running out the door. <laughs> yeah. I'll be knocking yeah. you down. I'll be throwing you out. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be on the way out. But the the other yeah. scene when when Finn's there and he speaks to him on the phone because he's already back in New York. Yeah, that is just chills. Just no. Everyone on set, I remember, knew when that scene. Everyone knew the scene number, the day we were going to shoot it. That sort of everything hinged on us getting that scene right. Um, that if if the film was going to work, 
uh, the the element of surprise it would turn right there. And I remember when Shutter took the movie, they they referred to that as the emotional jump scare. They're like we think mm. you've got your finger on the emotional jump scare, whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for me, the center of the movie and the film, the when I do revisit that movie, and I try not to, obviously, because I saw it many hundreds of times in editing it. Um, but when I see it again, the scene that I'm most drawn to and proud of is when they're sort of stacking wood in the barn and they have that conversation on the back of the truck um, where he decides to stop lying to him and tell him he's not really safe. And there's a really, she's in the window for like, you know, a, a second and a half in the back of the shed there, kind of purposefully looking in on that moment. Um, that's the one that really gets me because on the day it was so special between them. Uh, I think I had a plan to shoot it from a lot of different angles. And when I saw them on the back of the truck, I was like, no, let's just let them go. They, they, I, I, they're like, if a shot holds tension and you don't have to cut away, uh, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So, um, it felt, if it still feels special to me when I watch it, I don't see all the, you know, because it's maddening to watch your own films. You just see the compromise around every corner. <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful film. That that you know, I I love a horror that can also be gorgeous, be moving. Yeah. yeah, that that's what makes a really good horror. That's what makes it depth. So I've got a quick question then. So you said Please. you'd you'd um, obviously be writing away, um, and you've got several scripts. Uh, so ready to go, ready to go. So we've got yeah. one going on. I've got a few irons in a few different fires. I've got, I've got the movie I don't have to wait for. I like to have that one, the one that's cheap. Okay. Um, that I I can I feel like I can scrape together. Um, you know, which in the winner didn't win anybody the lottery, but it, it's a it's a good calling card to go back out to investors at a small budget level and continue to tell stories in that way. Cause it's been really nice to have that control. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm not like, so, or like, uh, obsessed with being like an auteur that I've got to like, you know, have final cut and everything. I'm really collaborative. I do testing with audiences. I, I want to get out of my own head as much as possible. Um, but it's been nice to, yeah, to be able to, especially to be able to cut the film myself, which I think of as, um, it's one of the most fun parts of the process for me. So I want to keep that thread going. And I've just written sort of my pandemic script for lack of a better term. Um, it's not about the pandemic, but it's set during it so that I can distance people and have them masked up and, and have it be a part of the story um, and do it in a nice contained way that's going to be safe. So that felt like a good productive use of my lockdown time to have that script ready. And uh, meanwhile, I've got my biggest movie I've, I've had in development for a while now, actually through uh, the UK, through uh, the folks who run Grimfest oh, okay. um, in, in Manchester. Where I, I, that is a festival I did get to. We had an amazing time there. Um, and they are starting a slate of horror movies there. So they took on a project of mine called Dollmakers, which is actually a horror, more of a dark comedy horror. It's a high school movie about voodoo dolls where uh, sort of the losers are using uh, a, a voodoo doll recipe to take revenge on their tormentors. And the effect of the voodoo is literal. So if you 
take the arm off the doll, the arm comes off the person. Um, and you could, this is very, very different than <laughs> Witch in the Window. Um, it's much more sort of Edgar Wright, nice. kind of uh, paced like that, like a Shaun of the Dead sort of uh, sort of mood. Uh, it's driven by the dark comedy and the story and the surprise. And uh, it's a big, it's a big movie. So we're, uh, it's exciting to have producers on it. I, I, I think um, I'm jaded enough at this point that I don't, uh, I don't get my hopes up too high, <laughs> you know, about <laughs> everything, which is why I always like to have a project I can control. So yeah, in my arsenal, I've sort of got my take on a slasher is in there. I've got like a wedding slasher movie I, I've wanted to do for a while. I've got some sci-fi, some more like sci-fi kind of stuff. Um, I've got a big high-rise horror story that I'm yes. dying to make. Um, yeah, I've got. I'm. I'm. I'm definitely locked and loaded and feeling very much in my prime. But I'm uh, getting people to. The problem now is my scripts are in different styles, and I'm holding out to direct some of them. But I feel like I could probably sell some scripts uh, to people who look at like The Witch in the Window or like, well, how are you going to do the high school voodoo doll movie? Like, is mm -hmm. this the same person? Um, when in reality, it's 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 uh, it's it's kind of closer to my sensibilities. Um, like as a musician, I've made my ends meet as a musician and composer, uh, sort of my B career over the years, and my roots there are in rock and roll or in writing, like melodic, catchy, fast stuff, and it's a part of my sensibility. I've never had the resources to put into filmmaking, but I'm dying to. I'm excited. That's um, a lot of. I want to yeah. see every one of them. Every one of them. Need to crack, yeah. crack up. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. awesome. And uh, yeah, if you don't, if you want us to uh, view anything in advance, <laughs> tell we're taking yeah. up. We'll, we, we'll make some time. Uh, <laughs> that, they know they do sound really awesome. So you said you made music as well. Have yeah, we, I do. Have we heard I, this I, music? No, probably not, because the music that I've done that's gotten out there in the world has been um, in family musicals. I literally, I, I'm a composer and lyricist for like family musicals that have been commissioned through the Kennedy Center. Um, the most, uh, the most known thing I've done is a is a family musical called Me Jane. That's about Jane Goodall as a young girl. Um, and I was doing that in Washington. That's kind of had a national tour here. And we're hoping actually it comes to London um, through Jane's people. She was involved and collaborated in that with us. Um, so literally, I was in Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center by day writing squirrel songs, songs about squirrels and chickens. And at night, I was editing Witch in the Window. And my head was just spinning. You, you cannot be pigeonholed, sir. There is no putting you in a box. I, no, <laughs> certainly cannot. Well, so, so yeah, I, I do have some albums on, like, you know, out there, too, in my rock band that I had in my 20s. It's actually with um, Clark. Uh, Clark, who's the lead in We Go in On. We Go On, yeah. And, and his sister Cassidy Freeman, who's in, you know, Smallville and Yellow Brick Road, and is in We Go On in a small role as, like, um, his mother when she was young in the car there uh with, it was with the two of them because they're college buddies so um she, clark was the drummer and cassidy was the keyboardist and um the biggest show we ever did was actually at the isle of wight festival 
Oh, no. That's, that's not a small, uh, small thing to be <laughs> yeah, playing. It was not the big stage. <laughs> it was, it was the little, the little stage on the grass. <laughs> to be honest, it was the daughter. It was really funny. It shows you what you can end up in through Twitter sometimes. It, it was the daughter of the guy that ran the festival. Was a huge Cassidy fan. She was like a Smallville fan. And she found out about the band that way. And she contacted me on Twitter and was like, "You want to play the Isle of Wight festival?" And I was like, "Fuck off." <laughs> Six months later, we're you know in the mud, at the Isle of Wight. And it was uh, it just as an excuse to come see. You know, I had never been to England before, and uh, we took an extra week in London. It was like one of the best trips of my life. That's awesome. You are a chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've confused my mother. Let's put it that way. I think we've all confused his mother. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the goal, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess then we'll... Um... Let you start to enjoy your weekend. Yeah. <laughs> We've kept you for ages. I do apologise. No, it's a pleasure. It's really fun. I've, I enjoyed like listening back to prepare to this. I will continue listening forward. I like, you know, this is, I, I like um, talking shop. I like, you know, it, I like your, your dynamic. And, and for everyone out there doing this sort of thing, it... it it does a great service, especially to filmmakers like me, who, who, yeah, like you say, who can easily fly under the radar. When I was editing this thing, I thought this would fly under every radar ever built. <laughs> it was like, I, I was deathly afraid it wouldn't work. So um, it's, you know, honestly, thank you for, for you know, for, for the interest and for helping to support filmmakers like me. Um, it, it, I'm grateful for it. It's part of the machine that makes it possible. Oh, no, thank you. That, that's lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Don't cry, Faith. It's all on you. No, she's going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, and just, I, I know it's a juggle, but also kudos to the festivals that are scheduling uh, the films. So, yeah. Like, we got a, a fair few of the, the horror festivals. So, like, we got to see We Go On It, show uh, cellulite screens in Sheffield. Um, and then which is the window at Fright Fest in yeah. London. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, thank goodness for them being able to yes. give us, like, use the platform for us to be able to view it and then to kind of keep spreading that word. So you scream, Sheffield, get your next film in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's only down well, from where we time. live so we I, can I, come. When we're out of quarantine. <laughs> yeah. That's right. No, if I if I end up, hopefully I'll make something good enough to end up on a good solid circuit again. And uh, uh, I, I won't, I wouldn't miss Fright Best a second time, for God's sake, no. but uh, I, I will especially be thorough about the UK, who's been particularly um receptive and, and kind i would say like i I've, I've just really enjoyed my connection particularly with with fans there. i don't know what or why that is exactly but um uh so maybe we end up you know getting getting to have a beer together one of these days That'd be super. That'd be great. A, a, a covid-free beer yes COVID free. <laughs> and by ah uh, we mean many 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> But yeah. Thank you so much. It's for, been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Stay safe. You, you too. Well. Have a nice Take care. Care. Bye. Bye bye. Take care. So that was our episode this week. Thank you again to Andy for joining us. We do appreciate his time. That was a lot of fun. Voting will go up for the best psychological horror shortly after you listen to this podcast. Please do follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at Spitgrades. You can find us on Facebook at Iceberg on Your Grades. And you can also email us at electricpossums at gmail.com. 
Once again, thank you for joining us and please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe.